previously on Film Code. Two weeks in the hole as no one has been able to crack the code. With, you know, whether it is or not, I think I gotta go with the obvious one, and that is Tangled. Um, came out in 2010, takes place in a different country, is animated, is about hair, um, and Phoenix actually said some um, cool trivia. Well, not really cool, but the country that it takes place in is called Corona. Um, so <laughs> coronavirus confirmed. Um, yeah, so that is that is my uh, my pick is Tangled. Uh, Phoenix. Yes, I'm gonna ride that wave with Nick. I also went with Tangled. Uh, Brandon's uh, hanging his head, so I hope we're all right. Uh, but yeah, uh, yeah, let's said, hear, let's hear Nathan's. Yeah, look, what was Nathan's pick? Please don't tell me it was Tangled. I'll be so upset. <laughs> Nathan also went with Tangled. Oh, are you serious? Uh, I'm, just gonna say, I'm just gonna say you're all wrong. What? What? How? It's it's, it's, ra- it's, it's Ratatouille. What? How do you get no messing with it? Oh Remy uses his hair to make him oh cook, and it takes place God. in modern day. Tangled isn't like a folklore. Oh this is modern God. day. Oh we went for like the obvious choice, and it Are wasn't you it. serious? That is that was horrible. <laughs> oh I gave you the God. easiest. I literally had to specify in another country in modern day. I literally another country. It corona out for you guys. is another country in modern day. We're dealing with a coronavirus. So is Paris. So is no Paris. No one gives a oh fuck God. about Ratatouille. <laughs> this week, it's Phoenix's turn as he returns with a brand new code was word. Teen. Your clues were a movie between 2000 and 2010. It's directed by an MCU director, and it is a sports movie. Will the guys have any luck cracking this one? And the guys review the new David Fincher film starring Gary Oldman, it's Mank. What will be this film's Oscar chances this year? Plus, the guys have a lot to discuss after an earth-shattering decision was made by Warner Brothers to move their entire 2021 movie slate to their streaming service on HBO Max. What will the guys have to say about this decision, and what will it mean for the future of theaters? All that and more on this week's episode of Film Code. Everybody, welcome to Film Code, episode 27, 8. One of the two. Yeah. <laughs> My name is, of course, Phoenix Cloudin. I'm joined by two awesome co-hosts. I, mean, I had to make sure I got that right. Uh, <laughs> he is, of course, the CEO of Hallmark Christmas Movies. And uh, I need to know your update on those right now. So uh, please welcome Nick Spain. Nick, how are you? I'm doing well. Um, I have not watched any Hallmark Christmas movies this week. I've only watched three movies this week. Uh, It is finals week, wrapping up the semester. So just trying to get through that more than than watch movies. Sadly, you got to prioritize. But I'm super excited about this episode. 
unlike a lot of episodes where we kind of already know each other's opinions, everybody's kind of kept this one, this, these opinions like close to the chest. So yeah. I'm super excited to see what everybody thought of our movie today. <laughs> and of course, we are also joined by the CEO of Hot Takes himself. I'm sure he's going to have one for this episode. Please welcome Nathan Pig. Nathan, how are you? I'm good, Phoenix. It's good to be back after my off week last week. Um, just excited to talk movies and, of course, one of the biggest movies of 2020. What we've been waiting virtually all year for. Uh, just excited to talk about it. Want to do a quick shout out for all the side segments we've done. Um, you know, Phoenix has done some. I've done some. We have Mandalorian content. We have an interview with Disgusting Film that Nick and I did. We have so much content out there. Um, if you're looking for more content than just our traditional episodes like this, go over and listen to our other stuff. That's phenomenal as well. I just want to say that interview was fantastic. That was that was that was a really cool interview you guys did uh, with uh, Yasmin. Please go and, and check that out. Uh, super fun. Uh, she's she's great. Okay, dope. So uh, we are talking Mank finally. So. Finally, Mank has officially dropped on Netflix uh, this past Friday. What was that? The uh, 4th? December 4th? Yeah. yeah. Oh, no, it was the 4th. Yeah. And we all had a chance to watch it. Directed, of course, by the great David Fincher. And we got to get right into it. Mank, it's Orson Welles. Of course it is. I think it's time we talk. What is it the writer says? Tell the story you know. Hello, everyone. Make yourself to home, Mr. Mankowitz, or shall I call you Herman? Please, call me Mank. 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 This is Herman Mankowitz, but we're to call him Mank. Mankowitz. Herman Mankiewicz, New York playwright and drama critic, turned humble screenwriter, Mr. Hurst. This is a business where the buyer gets nothing for his money but a memory. What he bought still belongs to the man who sold it. That's the real magic of the movies. Thunder, lightning, blood, fire, religion. Help! Someone save me! All in one film. That's director proof. That's why I always want Mank around. I hear you're hunting dangerous game. God bless William Randolph Hearst. Ready and willing to hunt the great white whale? Just call me Ahab. Do come in. At this rate, you will never finish. You said 90 days. Well, said 60. I'm doing the best I can. I've put up with your suicidal drinking, your compulsive gambling, your silly platonic affairs. You owe me, Herman. Who do you think you are? You're nothing but a court jester. What I want to know is why you think of it. It's a bit of a jumble, a collection of fragments that leap around in time like Mexican jumping beans. Welcome to my mind, old sock. Him, I get. But what did Marion ever do to deserve it's this? It's not her. Not all characters are headliners. Some are secondary. You pick a fight with Willie. You are finished. Mayor can't save you. Nobody can. Especially the boy genius from New York. I removed any distraction, eliminated every excuse. Your family, your cronies, liquor. I gave you a second chance. You cannot capture a man's entire life in two hours. All you can hope is to leave the impression of one. Why Hurst? 
Outside his own blonde Betty Boop, you're always his favorite dinner partner. Are you familiar with the parable of the organ grinder's monkey? <laughs> So, first impressions, no spoilers right off the bat. Uh, I think. Go ahead, Nick. Before I think we should just do like a one sentence review, give our thoughts on Citizen Kane, just preview because I know we all watched it before the movie, unless Phoenix didn't. I did not. I still have yet to see Citizen Kane, but I will oh say that goodness. this movie made me want to to see Citizen Kane. Okay. Well, yeah. then quickly. Um, I thought it was very good. I gave it three and a half stars. Um, it definitely stands the test of time when it comes to, to movies. I haven't watched a lot of movies from this era, but none are like Citizen Kane in the way that if you told me that it was filmed in black and white 20, 30, 40 years ago, I would somehow believe you because this movie does very well. And I'll leave it at that. So no spoilers for Phoenix. <laughs> Uh, Nathan, have you seen Citizen Kane? Yeah, that was a long sentence there, Nick. Uh, for your one <laughs> oh, sentence. Oh, sorry. A lot, a lot of comments in that sentence. <laughs> um, yeah, my quick non-spoiler thoughts on Citizen Kane are um, it's just incredible how well made this movie is for when it's made. Mm. And, and, um, so I keep and. that one sentence running. <laughs> and the story how well it's made kind of encompasses the whole movie uh, i will that's of course at the top of my watch list i'm slightly embarrassed that i haven't seen probably what most people would consider the most influential film ever made oh pulp that's fiction on, oh yeah okay. i know i know Interesting. Right? <laughs> uh but we'll leave it at that so nick kick us off your first impressions of mink non-spoiler 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 well uh, david fincher is my favorite director but this is one of my least favorite films from him the only thing that kept me off my phone in this movie was the fact that it was at one percent and <laughs> i didn't get up and go and get my charger in the other room i just did not like this movie i saw somewhere on twitter someone said that if this didn't have David Fincher's name associated with it, if you didn't know who the director was going into this, you wouldn't even guess David Fincher because it, it didn't feel like a Fincher film at all. Yeah. Nathan? Yeah. I'm going to hit similar beats, but um, be a little more preachy about the film, I guess. Um, I did like this film but it's a very mixed bag for me. Um, Gary Oldman is definitely going to get nominated for Best Actor, and he really, in my mind, is only going to compete with Anthony Hopkins and Chadwick Boseman for the role for the, the Oscar, but um, I, I completely agree with Nick in, in the fact that you would have no idea this is a David Fincher movie. You'd have no idea. Um, he just has a way of crafting. David Fincher's known for two things, right? book adaptations and biopics almost all of his movies are one of those two things ever since fight club everything past fight club's a book adaptation or biopic and that's his that's his bread and butter that's his strong suit not with this i i i really don't understand 
what this was. It, it's almost like I really wish that this tied more into Citizen Kane because Phoenix, you haven't seen it, but this is one of my biggest gripes with it. Not that it was boring, not that it was this or that, that it doesn't really tie into Citizen Kane that much at all. When you literally read the description of the movie, it says Herman Mankiewicz's sprint to finish Citizen Kane, but I feel like that's not even close to what the movie's about. It's about several other things involving his personal life, but at the end of the day, I I felt like I didn't even learn that much about him as a person either. So it's like you have writing Citizen Kane and you have his life as a person, and I don't feel satisfied with either one of those. So I felt kind of disappointed when the credits rolled because I didn't really get anything out of this. And we'll go into more spoilers, but I do want to say that this is technicality-wise, one of the best films I've ever seen. It is flawless in in the fact of creating an era and taking you back to that time period. You truly would think this was a movie made in the 60s. It does a perfect job capturing that era. There's no mistakes. There's It's extremely believable world. And the acting is, is phenomenal across the board. And um, that definitely elevates my overall grade, which we'll talk about later it elevates it quite a bit because it is a technical masterpiece. But overall, I do have some some bigger concerns. Uh, I echo both of you guys on on this. Uh, Yeah, if I didn't know that this was Fincher, no clue. I mean, if you take the, the, the few Fincher movies that I've seen, Seven, Gone Girl, Social Network, vastly different from from Mank. Uh, so yeah, if I didn't know that this was Fincher, I probably wouldn't have guessed it. Um, but, and I agree, I think technically wise, I mean, it's fantastic. I think just the, the lighting, the whole, the era, they nail the era. I mean, they nail the era, not just in look, but also in, in the era of movies that were made at that time, they, they nail that aesthetic perfectly i think it's i think it's brilliant gary oldman i think it's fantastic um i think he's a shoe in like it, it's 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 almost a no-brainer uh i would say the same for amanda seafried who was fantastic in this movie uh but i also agree with with nathan um i didn't get i, I wanted more of citizen kane you know what i'm saying i wanted more of 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 knowing what you know what this story was about and why I mean I guess we learned why it came about but we don't really know exactly the process of writing it what what really just informed it how good it actually is we didn't get much of that and then in terms of his life we got a lot more of that but it 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 wasn't it it wasn't a lot you know it wasn't emotional I guess enough It, it didn't really grip me yeah, and I, you you hit one of my, not even one of, you hit my biggest beef with this, yeah. is it's not emotionally resonating whatsoever. Yeah. Not a single thing that happens, I'm like, wow, or oh no, or it's just kind of like staring at a blank screen the whole time. Mm-hmm. Nothing yeah. that happens captures me, moves me, gets me more involved. Nothing like that happens. I don't feel bad for him when he's an alcoholic. I guess we're breaking the seal. We're talking spoilers. (laughs) Yeah. 
I don't feel bad for him when he's an alcoholic. I don't feel bad for him when he has a bum leg. I don't feel bad for him when he's in a car crash. And that doesn't make me a piece of shit. That makes me not in tune with the movie at all because they don't do a good job building this character. And this movie has one of my biggest pet peeves of movies in general is the main characters in every single scene. And that main character is in every single scene of this two hour and 15 minute movie. And I still couldn't give a shit about him. So I give it a, the slightest shit because I like Gary Oldman. Right. But I don't I don't give a shit about Mank. So it, it doesn't emotionally resonate whatsoever with you. And that's a problem because David Fincher is so good. This is and I'm not going to take credit for this. I saw someone else say this. David Fincher is so good at making you like unlikable characters. Yeah. Like yeah. Rosalind Pike. Mark Zuckerberg. <laughs> yes, Mark Zuckerberg, Rosamund Pike, um, Tyler Durden. Like, there are so even Kevin Spacey in Seven. Like, there are so many characters inside of David Fincher movies that are so despicable, just bad people that you don't like, whether they're killers or whether they're Mark Zuckerberg. And you, you love these characters. But David Fincher just makes this. It, it honest to God feels like a documentary. It honest to God mm. does because yeah, it, it feels like some shit that your teacher would put on in 10th grade and say, we're watching this over the next few days and you got to write an essay on it. And you're like, oh, great. <laughs> this is honestly what it feels like. And yeah. I, I want to address one other point uh, that you made uh, in terms of emotion. Like, yeah, like it, it's deaf. It's it's so obvious that it's missing, right? It's like, it's the only thing that this movie really truly needs that it doesn't have. <laughs> and it's like, here are these characters who, you know, I mean, this we're talking 1934, like they, they're so far removed from our general like knowledge that if they, if we don't, if we're not emotionally connected to them, we could give a shit, you know what I'm saying? It's like, yeah, really. it's like, okay, like all of these names sound great. I remember like when one guy entered their newsroom or whatever, and he's introducing him to all the people and like everyone gets like a single frame shot where they like turn into the camera or whatever. And I'm like, who the fuck is that? <laughs> I'm like, like, I'm sure all these names are important. I'm sure all these characters mattered at some point in time in 1930s Hollywood but yeah I mean, and this is yeah. well, this is this is another thing too well you go ahead Nick I was gonna say well you know as somebody who really enjoys history enjoys biopics I I completely disagree on the mark of like it felt like the era sure it looked like it but you didn't have like that feel like when I think of like feeling the era I think of not Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Like, that feels like the 60s. Like, the it just, you're watching it, and it just feels like the 60s. Even the artist, like, that took place around the same era, and that feels like 1930s Hollywood. Like, this movie doesn't feel like anything. It just looks like 1930s Hollywood. And I think that's what Nathan said when it comes down to the documentary aspect. Mm. It just feels like a documentary. It doesn't feel like anything it just looks like the looks are great but it doesn't have any feel like you guys both said no emotions and my biggest beef nathan talked about his my biggest beef with the film is that the whole thing is about citizen king right 
It's about him writing the script. It's about his, you know, want to have credit on this film with Orson Welles because everybody's telling him how good it is. Those aspects of the film are heavily outweighed by this stupid 1934 Republican, like, <laughs> like, what is that, a governor race of California? Yeah. Like, who cares? Like, <laughs> I didn't... I didn't come to watch Sinclair versus whoever the hell the other guy is. Like, right. I didn't come to watch a political, like, race movie. No, I, I came to watch a movie about the script of Citizen Kane. You got, like, out of the two-hour, 15 minutes, you probably got, like, 20 minutes of actual Citizen Kane. Like, you got the monologue where he's shit drunk. Mm-hmm. You got him fighting with Orson at the end. And then the every, like, sprinkle of him writing the script. Like... If you, like, honestly, Phoenix, you haven't seen Citizen Kane, I was coming into this like, oh, I have to watch this movie. Otherwise, like, it's going to go right over my head. My, like, my girlfriend and, like, our friends, we watched this together and, like, they didn't even need to watch Citizen Kane because there was nothing involved in the movie. Like, like the argument was pretty self-explanatory. You didn't even have to watch Citizen Kane to, like, see like get the argument at all like that's what it needed more of yeah and i want to say like uh i know you guys don't watch trailers but i watched the trailer for this and i was like you know because it was funny i I usually don't give in to peer pressure and i was like everybody like when the when the trailer dropped i saw a lot of people like oh my god man it looks so great and i was like am i the only one who just didn't get a grasp of the story from from that i didn't get a grasp of the story i didn't really get a feel of anything like i I felt like i was the only one and then when i watched the movie and i realized and i and we got into it because the trailer basically just says this character all it does is introduce the character of mank he's an alcoholic he's a you know womanizer but she really wasn't uh you know they, they made him out to be like a very problematic character and i was like okay, that's great, but what's the story? And so when we got into the movie, that was pretty much it. That was the story of Mank being problematic, hard to work with, an alcoholic, kind of a, you know, a very sharp and witty, uh, you know, character, but and a very learned, obviously intelligent person. So when it came to the political stuff, I was like, oh okay that's the heart of this movie and that's what really i guess informed citizen kane me me having not seen it so i was like okay i get that part it was like to me i was like those were the juicier aspects of the film just because it didn't involve just one problematic character in a two-hour movie but at the same time i was like what else you got? Like- so, I also feel like I, w- I want to touch on a couple things. I feel like they should have built a lot more tension with the deadline to finish the script. Yeah, there was yeah. no tension because they just threw out a couple words that, like, oh yeah, the script's due in two weeks. Oh, the script's due in ten days, and it's like, oh okay. Like I want to <laughs> feel that. Like I want to feel like, oh shit, is he gonna finish? Is he not? Like. What's going to happen? Are they going to give him more time? There was no tension whatsoever. Um, I agree. The political stuff, 
like maybe I'm dense, but I I don't understand why that had anything to do with any of this. I I really don't. Yeah. Uh, I I as 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 someone who has seen Citizen Kane two days before I watched this, <laughs> like sure it has like like slightly slightly, but like that could have gone way like they could have had like twenty minutes on that, and like I. I like I said I could I could give a shit about it to be honest. With you. So and when that's half your movie, yeah. So and like the, I I felt like that was speaking to a specific audience, right? And and me I'm very political. I I, I follow politics every day, so like there were some discussions that I was like, oh, okay, like they were having this discussion in 1934. I think that's interesting. But again, interesting isn't shouldn't be your entire movie that that's all it was it was uh it was a crossroads i guess in 1934 hollywood about you know the value of the worker versus the employer and i guess it's it's a very informed discussion and i'm glad they were having it at that at that time and it's unique because we're still kind of having it but ultimately like for it to have been like the heart of your movie when you're talking about the person who wrote Citizen Kane and you have all of these very, very interesting people whom we don't know. You're you're literally introducing them to a new audience and we don't get any of them. Like we don't get any of them. Like Nathan said, your your main characters in every scene because none of your secondary characters are fleshed out enough. Like they're they're not fleshed out enough. And so, even your main character right, isn't and, fleshed out enough. Right. Right. And I was trying to figure out Amanda Seyfried's character because she was Marion Davies. Yes. Marion Davies isn't even in Citizen Kane. No. So why she, is she in this movie? Well, there's a character based off of her, apparently, in Citizen Kane. And uh, Ooh, I don't know. Right. I, I get that. <laughs> but still, she plays such a prominent role. And I just like. Nathan felt this way about Project Power. I don't know if we we talked Project Power on the show, but like <laughs> not in glowing terms. No. When whenever like we would talk about Project Power, Nathan would just get like angry talking about it, and I was like, "Why are you getting so angry? Like, it's not that deep. Like, that's exactly how I feel right now. Like, I'm I'm so mad right now talking about this movie i really am i really am. <laughs> um i did i do want to talk about something that's a good transition of what we are already talking about is that there's a lot of they, they try to show you right that these characters that were in Mank's life when he was writing the script he writes them into the film based off character or based off of real life feel that he knows and William Randolph Hearst's character is supposed to be Citizen Kane. He's supposed mm. to be Orson Welles. But I think they do a real shit job trying to tie those two together. Because it, you'd have to be brain dead to not know that that's what they were doing. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, they did an awful job. They might have well just, they might have well as well have had Gary Oldman look at the camera, the laundromat style, and just say, that's who I'm gonna be. That's who I'm gonna base Orson Welles off of. They might as well just fucking said that because yeah. it, like, sure, William Randolph Hearst, played by Charles Dance in this movie, was a little bit of a jerk. He was a little bit of a dick. But at the end of the day, 
Phoenix, when you watch Citizen Kane, Orson Welles is nothing like William Randolph Hearst, at least in this movie, mm. how this movie yeah. was portrayed him as. It's it's ridiculous. Um, that tie together that, oh, that's supposed to be his inspiration for Orson Welles, it's, it, it's, like, it missed the mark by miles. Wow. It missed yeah. the mark by miles. And for well, for those of you out there listening that have seen Citizen Kane and you know the character of Orson Welles and everything that he is, and you're telling me that Charles Dance's character in Mank is supposed to be him? No. No. I mean, you also, know. Also, like, this is just something so minor, but it just annoyed me, is that Tom Burke, as Orson Welles, I'm sure he, I've never seen him before. I'm sure he's a fine actor. He looks nothing like Orson Welles. <laughs> I look more like Orson Welles than that guy. <laughs> and like Orson Welles and Citizen Kane like has like a mustache. This man had a full ass goatee. You don't look anything like Orson Welles, bro. Like stop, like shave that goatee. <laughs> like that's that's something so minor, but it's just like it it literally got to the point where not not even got to the point not even got to the point it literally was when we were watching this movie when orson's name was said we would my my dad and i would be like oh shit mhm like that's how much this character just commands the screen that when even he's mentioned even tom burke's version when it's like oh orson's on the phone we're like oh mhm that's the character because he's just got that reputation and you know, and I get this isn't a movie about Orson Welles. It's a movie about her Mankiewicz, but I, I love to know how much screen time or mention time, conversation time Orson Welles has in this two hour, 15 minute movie. It's probably less than five minutes because it's just, it's there needed to be more tie in. Like I said at the beginning, when we were talking about this biopics do one of two things. They talk about the people involved or they talk about the situation, right? Bring me any biopic, it meets one of those two things. This didn't do either one. I don't feel like I know enough about Herman Mankiewicz at all. I know he's an alcoholic. I know he likes to gamble. That's pretty much it. And it didn't describe to me the race to finish Citizen Kane. This doesn't add any value to me for Citizen Kane whatsoever. Like, I don't feel like I appreciate Citizen Kane more. Actually, I feel like I, I value it a little less. If this is actually what happened, if this is actually what happened, I consider this more of a miracle that this is this, this, is this great because this guy was drunk off his ass writing it than I do a, a, a genius. Also, too, it's like this is very similar to what is coming out in a couple years where it's Jake Gyllenhaal and um, Oscar Isaac for The Godfather. This is very similar because it's the story of a... It's the movie behind the movie. Right. If they focus on some random-ass current event that nobody cares about, nobody knows about, from, like, the late 60s, early 70s, that influenced the movie, like, I'm going to be upset. Because, like... I feel like I feel like that's I think I think that's interesting in itself, yes, but <clears throat> it, it it shouldn't be your entire movie. Like I look at right. it like this: like if you had added like another if you had added another hour to Mank and and oh, we God, had, we had gotten a chance to focus 
more on Citizen Kane, I think this is a this is a masterpiece. Truly. Like, I mean, but you needed that extra hour. Like, like, like you totally needed that extra hour. Or or you needed to bring more to these characters that was there because it wasn't enough there. Um, I mean, th- I don't know if you've seen Dallas Buyers Club. Yes, I have. Dallas Buyers Club is a good movie. Yeah. But, like, it had no tension. Like, it was like reading, like, off a page, off a book. This is very much like that. There's no tension. There's nothing that, like, I get excited about moving to the next scene. Like, there's nothing that, like, attracts me. Like I said, my phone was at 1%. And I literally, every 10 minutes, was, like, looking at the clock, like, okay, we started this at this time. We have, like, like 30 minutes left. Okay, we have 20 minutes left. Because, like, there was nothing that kept me going to want to, like, continue to watch this. Like, sure, it was technical, great technical. It, it'll probably win some awards for the technicality of it. But at the end of the day, like, I don't care how technical your movie is if it's shit. Like, because there's a good technical movie, I don't, like, if you gave me the option between a shitty movie that's very good technically and a great movie that's, like, average technicality, I'm going to pick the, the great movie every day because, like, if you have a technically good movie, like, like I said, and if it's a shit story, I could, I could I feel like, I feel like that, that is a, <laughs> I like, I feel like, I don't know if we added this in our pet peeves episode, but that, that is a pet peeve of mine. If you can make a technically great movie, there's no reason your story should suck. Like, <laughs> so, like, but I my do thing wanna... is like, go ahead, Nathan. Well, I'm just going to vent. Else. Yeah, I was going to say, I'm just going to vent more. So, all right. Well, I can't really speak for Nick judging how he's talked about this so far, but I at least can assume Phoenix is going to go somewhat positive on this movie. I obviously know what I'm going to give it. So we've spent, I don't know, close to 30, 40 minutes just absolutely shitting on this movie. <laughs> but I don't want to shit on it for 30 minutes and then end up going positive. So let's at least talk about some good things that yeah. happened in this movie. Phoenix, you uh, start that off. I definitely want to... I think one of the things that saved this movie for me from like just being a total train wreck is the dialogue. I think the dialogue of this movie is fantastic. Uh, Mank has some incredible lines. I think Amanda Seyfried has some incredible lines. Lily Collins, who plays uh, Rita Alexander, uh, I guess his assistant, uh, while he's writing Citizen Kane, fantastic lines. Uh, Arliss Howard, who played uh, Louis B. Mayer. Uh, he has one tracking scene that is incredible. I love it. Like, the dialogue in this movie is pitch perfect. I think it sings. I think it has some strong elements, especially the uh, the dinner scene when he, he uh, comes up with his own modern-day version of, of the man who shot Don Quixote. I think that's a great, great scene, great monologue. He paints a very distinct picture. Gary Oldman goes all in on that. That if if he gets nominated, that's his Oscar scene right there. Uh, so like, I think script-wise, it's got some gems, some absolute gems. Again, the only thing that's missing is the emotion. But like, as far as writing goes, as far as like the actual dialogue. I think it's pitch perfect. I think it's really great. Yeah, I want to talk about the the supporting characters because obviously Gary Oldman 
is fantastic, and and we all know who that is. Um, I don't really know these people. Like once I pull yeah. up Amanda Seyfried, I recognize her face. I've seen some of these movies she's in, but I wouldn't have known her if I didn't look at the picture. Uh, same goes for Lily Collins. I've seen The Blind Side. I don't even know how much she's even in that. <laughs> and I know Charles Dance, but like those three are a collection of names that if you told me what movies they were in other than this, I'd, I'd die. Like, I, gun to my head, I, I'd be done. Um, so, outside of Gary Oldman, and look, I'm, I'm just in, as much in tune with movies as you guys are. You know, I know several, several actors in Hollywood. I just don't know these people. And the fact that they came in here and all the performances are flawless um, is fantastic. Now we can sit here and say, I wish they were fleshed out more. I wish they had more connection to Citizen Kane and everything like that, but that's not their fault. That's not the no, actors no. themselves fault. Um, what they were asked to do, I think was fine. I thought Tom Burke, though he may not look like Orson Welles, was good in his, in his two minutes on screen. Um, I thought all the acting w was pretty solid for a, a supporting cast that I was skeptical about going in. Yeah, I remember in the opening credits, I saw Gary Oldman and Amanda Seyfried. I was like, yeah, yeah, I know. I know I've seen plenty of Amanda Seyfried's movies. Uh, and then they started naming everybody else. I was like, who the hell are you? I'm like, they couldn't get a, another big name actor? They got Bill like, Nye. Yeah, yeah, Bill Nye was- They got that, Bill Nye. That was pretty cool. Like, I was like, it took me a minute. I was like, is that Bill Nye? Like, but, yeah, I mean, I mean, like when you look at strong Oscar contenders, no matter what year, they normally have a couple names you know, at least. I mean, look at Ma Rainey coming out soon. That's got Chadwick Boseman and Viola Davis. That's two strong contenders. The father, Olivia Coleman and Anthony Hopkins. I mean, all these movies at least have a couple people you know if they're going to be considered for Oscar contention. And maybe it's just me, but Gary Oldman was the only person I definitely new in this movie um so i was i was impressed with what the entire cast was was doing inside this film yeah and i agree with the acting i i do think like again maybe this is this is a part of the technical aspects but like i think with what they were given fantastic like i think they all really truly did a great job uh acting wise i think you know they put on a clinic especially gary oldman he, he was fantastic i, I loved amanda seafried's character like i like what she did i thought she was very she she was balanced in in being this like sort of flighty individual but also being very respectable and knowledgeable uh and you know what i'm saying it was i thought she did a fantastic job like i said lily collins i thought was great charles dance was even fantastic as as william hurst uh, it was just, it was good all around. I thought it was a really good acting performance all around with a, a strong script that just did not have enough in it. Yeah, and I wanna, I wanna say too, I've heard some people say, just talking about good acting is a cop out for what you really like of a film. And I, <laughs> I cannot disagree with that more. Right. You take a film like Tenant, which has so many great actors, big name actors, that do not act well, <laughs> that do not act well at all. You take Kenneth Branagh, who is a well-known actor, Robert Pattinson, who's a well-known actor, and their performances look like they're in a high school play. So I don't want to hear that, that 
we come on this show or YouTubers or whomever talks about movies and say, well, we love the great performances. And you roll your eyes at that because truly great performances should be talked about. And it's not a cop out when we say things like that. Well, I don't have anything new to say positively that you guys haven't said, but I will say something cool that um, I read when I was looking up this film on Wikipedia. So this screenplay of, of Mank was written in, before 2003, and it was going to be Fincher's film that he was going to do after the game, which came out in, in 1997. And originally it was going to be with Kevin Spacey and Jodie Foster, but they didn't want to, to star in the movie um, because Fincher wanted to shoot it in black and white. So it obviously wow. was was delayed and delayed and delayed until now and you know the rest is history but i will rest my my on my laurels with that one well and i'll compliment something uh similar to that you and i when we did our fincher binge we're looking up things um about the movies and fincher wanted gary oldman to star in alien 3 or at least in the movie which is fincher's first film he, he before this man even sat in the director's chair he wanted gary oldman in one of his movies and then he pumped out what 10 11 movies and now in 2020 25 23 years later after alien 3 he finally gets to work with gary oldman i I think that's pretty cool that is cool uh one other thing that i think was is interesting about the script is that it was written by uh jack fincher who is david fincher's father um i think that's a really cool thing that he did be he was able to bring his father's script to life and uh, that's just, I mean, uh, <laughs> sad to say, that's probably the most emotional aspect of the script is that it was written by David Fincher's father and he finally got to uh, do his work, even if it was uh, posthumously. But uh, we've been going on for a minute, so it's, well, it's that time. I, and I do want to I do want to touch on one thing you just said. I, I yeah. do think as cool of a moment as that is, I think it did hurt the film overall. Jack Fincher has wrote one film. It is Mank. Um, he's not even credited with anything else. So even history buffs who know history inside and out would not make perfect screenwriters. Yes. I think it did hurt that his father and him did this together because David Fincher, no doubt, is a top director in Hollywood. And I feel like he can pretty much get his way with whatever he wants. He knows what he's talking about a majority of the time. But I feel like, and obviously I don't know. I don't know, I'm speculating. But I feel like he pulled back a little bit when, because it was his father's script. This was their thing, not his thing. Um, I, It's a cool moment, absolutely. I feel like it definitely hurt the film, though. Yeah. Also, I want to end on this last point. Um <laughs> I know Phoenix is, is geeking over there, but there's a documentary that came out in, in 1996, which is probably what inspired Fincher and his father to write this script. It's called The Battle Over Citizen Kane. And in the first line, something just screams at me, right? In Citizen Kane, Wells plays Foster, or, you know, Charles Foster Kane, who's fictionally. Life was portrayed by that of Hearst and as well as Hearst's longtime rival, Joseph Pulitzer. Was Joseph Pulitzer mentioned anywhere in the film? No, he wasn't. 
Um, so, and, and it goes on about uh, how, you know, Hearst was in debt and, you know, how all this stuff. I'm interested in watching this film because, or that documentary, because that actually seems like something that's worth my time um, compared, compared to this. So I just wanted to, to throw that out there. All right. So I'm so interested now in your guys' final scores. Uh, <laughs> Nick, you go last, man. I'm sure. Okay. <laughs> Give you some time to think about it. Nathan, what's your final rating on Mank? Yeah. Um, the, the only reason that we talk so poorly about it and then I'm going to go even a little bit positive is because this is David Fincher. We expect so much more from him. Um, this has been revered as one of, if not the Oscar winner, uh, at least it's definitely a lot to get nominated. So there were sky high expectations going into this and it disappointed for sure. I think all of us have made that obvious. That's the reason why we spent so much time talking bad about it, but I am going to go positive. I'm going to give it a B, which for David Fincher is more like a D um, because he is just such a talent and I'm very disappointed. 2020 is just the year of disappointing movies. Forget delays, forget everything. We still had Tenant, which was shit. We still had um, this, which was, was a disappointment. So I'm going with a B, um, which ultimately is, is sad. And what is that in star rating? Three. Three stars. Thanks. Uh, so where does that put it in your David Fincher list? I have to rewatch Benjamin Button because, Nick, you know the story behind that. But temporarily it'll be ahead of that. I think that is number eight. Um, but it'll – I think the game and Alien 3 are the only two worse than this. Wow. Okay, nope. Uh I – was mixed on it because uh, on on one hand like i said i think the technical aspects are fantastic i also think that the writing is is strong it has some strong dialogue moments the acting of course i think is strong um but overall just the lack of emotion the lack of of, of anything really significant the lack of tie-in to to, to, to citizen kane uh, itself even though it does make me want to watch Citizen Kane, and I do think the politics, while overwhelming the script, was interesting. Um, this is not a movie that I would... I, I think it's rewatchable. I just don't think I would rewatch it anytime soon. So I'm uh, never, never going to watch this movie <laughs> in my life, ever again. So for me, it's... Uh, I'm going with a three and a half out of five. I still, I still think it's it's good. It has a lot of good aspects, not the best, but enough of the good aspects outweigh the bad. So three and a half stars for me. All right, oh, Nick, kind of that go, time now. Go ahead. <laughs> well, I came into this pretty solid. With I was going to give it two and a half. Um, just talking about it it's just made me just really frustrated I could see myself giving it two I could see myself giving it one and a half so we'll we'll just see where it, where it comes out but either way it's going to be ten in between the game and Alien 3 or it's going to be last 
So it's it's either going to be one of those two. And that's what two stars you said. Two, two and a half to one and a half is the range. Jesus, <laughs> I haven't decided. All right. Well, there you have it. <laughs> that's wow. our that's our look at Mank. Uh, overall, I think we're we're all pretty much, you know, mixed on it. But uh, we'll see yeah. how it turns out. Let me just throw this out there. If you love this movie, if you think it's five stars, if you think it's four and a half stars, please enlighten us. Hit us up on Twitter at FilmCodePod. DM Nick on Instagram and tell him why. Um, no. This is this is crazy. I I haven't used this term since our Palm Springs episode. <laughs> I cringe when I see people giving this five stars. I really do. I think if you give this five stars, what are you giving Pulp Fiction? What are you giving Citizen Kane? Um, so I cringe like at 10 that. Stars. Yeah, I cringe at that. So um, please, if you love this movie, if you think it's anything four and a half or higher, let us know because we might be living on a different uh, planet than you. <laughs> so let's talk some positive things. Let's get into questions. Um, every week on Twitter, again, that's at FilmCodePod. We ask for questions from you guys, just kind of an organic way to get us talking about all things film related. So first one comes from Aaron B. Shout out Cinema Chat. Aaron, thanks for the question. He says, who do you think would make a better comic book film, Martin Scorsese or Quentin Tarantino? And Nick, Mm. we can start with you. Yeah, well, I'm a little bit biased because uh, Tarantino is my favorite director, Um, but just with Scorsese, I just I can't see him making a good comic book film. I think Tarantino would would nail it. I think just from a his stylistic point of view, um, I just think it would be way more entertaining of a film if it was comic book related than Scorsese. I uh, happen to be in the same pack. Uh, uh, Quentin Tarantino is my favorite director. Uh, Based on how Scorsese's talked about uh, comic book films, I think he would, like, if he was given a chance, he would try to knock it out of the park. But also, I just don't think he's got the right mentality for it. Um, so, yeah, I would, I would, I would go with Tarantino. I think he would, he would kill it. Martin Scorsese was a producer on Joker. Yeah. So. Um, but I do think, and, and I think Joker is brilliant, but I do think that's kind of a, a one-time experience. If anyone tries to make a comic book movie that follows the similar path as Joker, then it wouldn't be as good because it's kind of been there, done that. And I feel like that's the only way Scorsese can succeed in a comic book movie is make it this insanity, lunatic-style movie. I can't see Scorsese doing a hero by any means so tarantino is my pick i don't want any of these guys touching comic book movies <laughs> let's make that known but i uh, be sweet i think if tarantino i could see tarantino doing blade something where Ooh. there is yeah like this, this <laughs> slasher or this hero that just does not care at all about what he says, what he does, who he kills, kind of like an anti-hero. Um, I, I can see Tarantino doing that. Tarantino doing Blade. I think that's the that's, that's the dream the right go. there. That's the way All to right. Go. So, Warsame, also shout out Cinema Chat. Uh, 
where Sami asks, what's the best film from the 70s? And Phoenix, since you're our old movie guy, I will <laughs> hit you up with that first. Uh, so, yes, uh, you are right in that I am uh, a little bit older than you guys and that I do enjoy older movies. Um, however, the 70s is not a, a particular uh, era that I, I've seen the most in. But going off of, uh, I guess you would call it reputation, uh, for me personally, the best movie of the 70s is going to be Rocky. I think uh, I, I love that movie. Uh, obviously, Best Picture winner. Uh, I still have to see a few more films from the 70s, like Apocalypse Now, obviously The Godfather. But uh, for me, out of the ones that I've seen, Rocky takes the cake. It's just a great movie. Nick, what do you think? Well... I'm not the biggest fan of the Godfathers. Um, so those are kind of off the list. I think it's Jaws. Um, when it comes to influential films, I think this is definitely up there. Creating a, a scary culture behind sharks and just the the achievement of this film, I think is is up there as well. All right. Well, I'm going to go with... Um... 1971 uh, THX 1138. I think that no, I'm, I'm I was just gonna kidding. say, what the hell is that? <laughs> um, but I am gonna go with another film directed by George Lucas, which he did THX 1138. And of course, it's gonna be Star Wars. Um, I think that obviously you talk about influential, Star Wars is one of the most influential films of all time. I don't think it's a top three Star Wars movie, but the 70s. It's, there's just there's just not a lot that I've seen. I haven't seen Clockwork Orange or Apocalypse Now. I am not a fan of Godfather Two or Taxi Driver. So um, this this choice was was very obvious for me. I like Nick's pick of of Jaws, and I think The Godfather is is a good movie as well. But Star Wars stands out the most to me. All right. So this next question comes from Bunny. Um, she is at Kit Ten Forty Nine. They ask the film trope you would most like to retire. And what are we defining as a film trope now? I guess that would be, yeah, I I would think that, or or just, you know, anything that sort of appears in, in, I, I look at film tropes as they appear a lot more in genre films. So like, you know, the, uh, like the 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 gross out kill in in a horror movie or like you know the the guy running after the girl in in the romantic comedy so something like that okay well i guess i'll start i don't know if this necessarily meets that criteria but i'll say something anyway um i want to retire the watch a scene for a few minutes or five minutes or something and then it's oh they were imagining it or it was a dream i hate that shit um, I think that's such a waste of time. I think there's really only one genre that that cannot retire from, and that's horror. I think in a horror, you can do a lot of things with that. But if we're watching a drama, a musical, a comedy, and you see some shit happen for, for five minutes and then none of it was real, I, I hate that. So I'd like to retire the dream sequences in, in like, oh, they, it was never really real. 
<laughs> what about you guys? Uh, I feel like it's not really a trope. I guess it could be a trope. The whole mob mobster trope, it's been done. It's been around the block. Godfather, Irishman, Goodfellas, Miller's Crossing, the list goes on and on and on and on. I think the the mobster trope is is overused because it's always this this bummy Irish Catholic kid who gets in good with the owner of a business on the street that he lives in, and he starts making runs, and then he grows up, and then he's a mobster, and then somehow in his life he either gets caught or he realizes he doesn't want to be a part of it anymore, so he comes clean. And then has to go into witness protection program. The Irishman, the good, the good Goodfellas. You you take your pick on on which one that is. So that is mine. Is is mobster tropes. Just named every Scorsese movie. <laughs> uh, I'm I'm actually gonna hit that beat as well. Like not so much mobsters, but definitely gangsters. Um, you know, uh, when it comes to a lot of films, particularly films. Uh, that deal with black leads or, or all black casts. Uh, we we tend to have like three ways we go, you know what I'm saying? Outside of perennial Oscar favorites uh, and like the, the whole gangster uh, ideology, at least when it comes to, to, to black uh, actors and black films, I'm over it. I think it's, I think it's really tacky. I think it's really overdone. I think it had its time and it's not, it's not relevant anymore. So like for me, that's the one that, that would go is the, the whole, yeah. <laughs> Alrighty. Uh, next question. Final question comes from best friend of the show, Freddie Robles. Freddie, thank you for your question. Every time we do this, uh, Freddie asks, what's an actor director pair that just needs to stop working with each other. <laughs> and I have a great answer for this, but I'm going to go last. So Phoenix, you go ahead. Uh, I hope I don't take your answer. You won't, <laughs> you won't I promise. Uh, but as much as I like both of these guys, and I do think they do great work together, so I won't say great work, but they they work well together. They're familiar with each other. But it's it's as far as their careers are concerned, it feels like one of them doesn't care too much about his career, and that's sad. And I think he deserves to be working with other directors and just getting more work out there outside of this guy. So I'm going with Adam Sandler and Rob Schneider. I think Rob Schneider definitely needs to just find a different path outside of Adam Sandler movies. I think, you know, I don't know, that style of comedy, I think it works in some movies. It doesn't work in others. I also think it's kind of just like, they feel like attached at the hip where it's like every time I see Rob Schneider, I know Adam Sandler somewhere nearby, but sometimes I see Adam Sandler without Rob Schneider. And I'm like, well, why isn't Rob Schneider getting work outside of Adam Sandler? So those are two guys. I think definitely you've had your run, try something else. Nick, what about you? Um, I don't really know if I have a good one. <laughs> I know P Peter Berg and Mark Wahlberg work together a lot. But that's not like neither of those are anywhere near like my favorite directors or actors. So it's not something that like bothers me. So I guess I just have to go with that one. That's the only like pairing that I can think of. 
Okay. Well, there's a lot of actor-director pairings that, you know, happen because people love to work with each other. Um, there are a lot that I don't like. I, I can sit here and say um, Adam McKay and Will Ferrell, but they said they're going to stop working together because that's, they've done one too many movies together. Um, Nick took mine, actually. Um, <laughs> Peter Berg and Mark really? Wahlberg. Look, wow. I, I, I like Patriot's Day. I think that's a good movie. I've heard good things about Lone Survivor, but Mile 22 has ridiculously bad ratings, and Spencer Confidential is one of the mo- worst movies of 2020, which is saying something. Um, so Mark Wahlberg is way too talented to be working with this fuck. So um, Mark they, Wahlberg, they get out of there. Get out of there. Um, not only that, but they've done five movies together. They're they're supposed to be a Spencer Confidential too, according to Letterboxd. Oh Jesus! Would of course star Mark Wahlberg. This would be their sixth film straight together. Mark Wahlberg's just too talented for this guy who is inconsistent as hell. Um, get get out of there! Get out of there! I, I'm just I'm sick of these two together. So that that's my choice. All right. So, Freddie, Aaron, Warsami, and Bunny, thank you for your questions. Um, Next time, if you're listening, ask us questions on the show. Follow us over on Twitter at FilmCodePod. We'll shout you out. We'll answer your questions just like we did there. Thank you guys for the questions. Let's move on. Let's all go to the lobby. Let's all go to the lobby. Let's all go to the lobby to get ourselves a treat. Delicious things to eat. The popcorn can't be beat. The sparkling drinks are just dandy, the chocolate bars and the candy. So let's all go to the lobby to get ourselves a treat. Let's all go to the lobby to get ourselves a treat. All right. So we have a very interesting discussion to get to today. Um, I believe it was Thursday. Uh, December 3rd when this news broke um, <laughs> and uh, it kind of shocked the film to, uh, the, the film community um, and I think we uh, we have to discuss it so uh, it broke on December 3rd that uh, HBO Max decided Warner Warner Media decided that they are going to release their entire 2021 uh, slate of movies in theaters and on HBO Max at the same time. So same day releases uh, for those movies. I got the statement here from Warner Brothers Pictures Group. Uh, Today, the Warner Brothers Pictures Group announced that it is committed to releasing its 2021 film slate via a unique consumer-focused distribution model in which Warner Brothers will continue to exhibit the films theatrically worldwide while adding an exclusive one month access period on the HBO Max streaming platform in the US concurrent with the film's domestic release. The hybrid model was created as a strategic response to the impact of the ongoing global pandemic, particularly in the US. Following the one month HBO Max access period domestically, each film will leave the platform and continue theatrically in the US and international territories. With all customary distribution windows applying to the title, all films will be available in 4K Ultra HD and HDR on HBO Max. Uh, Warner Brothers Pictures Group 2021 expected release slate currently includes 
The Little Things, Judas and the Black Messiah, Tom and Jerry, Godzilla versus Kong, Mortal Kombat, Those Who Wish Me Dead, The Conjuring, The Devil Made Me Do It, In the Heights, Space Jam, A New Legacy, The Suicide Squad, Reminiscence, Malignant, Dune, The Many Saints of Newark, King Richard, Cry Macho, and Matrix 4. That is a lot of great movies. Uh, so this news broke Thursday. It pretty much shattered everyone in uh, the film community. Uh, it's quite a unique uh, aspect. But the fear was that uh, many other streaming platforms would follow suit. And uh, we, as of today, we, we haven't heard any news. I don't know. But uh, Disney is having their investors meeting on the 10th. So it's very likely that they will also move to this model. So guys, uh, we heard this news on Thursday. What did you think? Nathan, I'll start with you. I just, I don't understand why. I really, I, I genuinely don't understand because especially for some of those movies they said, which would be end of 2021, like one year from right now, Sure, the world might not be completely back to normal. If we but, ever are back to normal. But it's it's like they're running under the assumption that we're gonna be living in this pandemic for for years, for the next decade. That's that's what their assumption is. And the other thing is they must be getting some huge cut for doing this. Obviously, you know, everything is about money nowadays. Um they must be getting some ridiculously large amount of money because there's no way they would put Dune, The Suicide Squad, especially, you know, you list a lot of great movies, but some of those are blockbusters. There's no way they'd be putting those out there unless they were getting significant financial support for it. They probably looked at it. I'm sure they have projection teams and things like that that say even if the world is back to normal the amount of money we spend on this movie versus what we're pro we're projecting to gain you might as well just put it out on hbo max don't get me wrong anybody who's listening to this thinks that they're doing this for the good of the people no this is strictly a, a financial thing um but i still don't understand it i really don't um wonder woman 1984 doing that makes sense doing some of the ones that are supposed to release early next year makes sense but all their properties for the next two years? I don't get that. Yeah. Uh, Nick, what about you? Well, I think we're we're really at an, an interesting crossroads now in the film industry because, you know, I, w I was looking at it last night. I didn't go to the theater from March 5th to August 22nd, which is a, a big part of the year. You know, right now is, is Oscar season. And since I've gone to the theaters, I've seen four movies since August in the theaters. And two of those, Inception and The Empire Strikes Back, didn't even come out this year. They came out, they were re-released in the theater just because. Just and, you know, we and we were alone in the theater. And we were alone in the theater. Well, we, we do to go to college in, in a small town, so I mean you know, take that for what you will. But I, I think we're, we're at an interesting crossroads here because, you know, WB sets an, an interesting precedent because I feel like they are kind of going the safe route, um, you know, especially in these last couple of weeks. 
we've gotten a lot of, you know, news about vaccines and kind of like timetables and, you know, the timetables that they've said for vaccines don't stretch into October and, you know, November and and Oscar season time. So it's definitely a a strange decision in in my book. Um, But I, I think it, you know, as somebody who doesn't have HBO Max and somebody who, you know, is a part of the the film scene as, you know, a co-host of a podcast and somebody who has to watch these movies, you know, it does make me want to get an HBO Max account for this. I don't know what the price is for that. Um, But I think we're at an interesting crossroads of, of whether streaming platforms will kind of take over. Yeah. So uh, when I saw it, I was uh, pretty much devastated Uh, (laughs) because like to me, there's nothing greater than the the movie theater experience. I think movie theater experience is fantastic. Probably one of my favorite things in the world to do. Uh, Since our theaters opened here in Ohio, I've been back, I would say seven, eight times. Um, I went and saw obviously Inception. I went and saw Raiders of the Lost Ark for the first time. Uh, and then, a, you know, a couple of other late releases or new releases, Unhinged, like Freaky, uh, Kajillionaire, a bunch of other other things that have, that have released. Uh, my theaters, are, I think, are fairly safe. And uh, it's, it's a shock because as of now, even though coronavirus numbers are going up, uh, they haven't been able to tie any of the cases to the movie theaters. So like the movie theaters are actually doing extraordinarily well when it comes to protecting people, but you know, things happen outside of that. So my only thing is that um, I wasn't, I'm not so much concerned about the 2021 slate. My concern is that uh, like Nathan said, this is a money, this is a money issue. And when theaters or studios release uh, movies to theaters, the theater gets a cut of that profit. Um, But when they release them to their own platforms, they get to keep all of it. So like, you know, my fear is that this won't just be 2021, but this will be a hybrid model going forward for at least the next few years. And, and if it's, it's a, it, I don't think it's sustainable, honest to God. I think eventually you'll run out of new subscribers to attract. Uh, and, and also, you know, if, if, you know, say we do get a vaccine or just say it, by 2022, things pretty much seem back to normal. I don't see why you couldn't go back to the movie theater distribution model. I just think, I don't know. We're, we're living in a very unprecedented and uncertain time. Uh, I don't know if we'll be dealing with it for a decade, but I do think we'll be dealing with it or at least the ramifications of it for the next at least two to five years. Well, and, and my thing too is that, you know, we just obviously talked about Mank and Mank took place during a time where the studio was king. Right. You know, the studios, they owned their writers, they owned their directors, they owned their actresses and actors, they owned the theaters. Like, there was no Regal, there was no AMC. And AMC and Regal are already, you know, struggling financially. 
So is this like the end of the the theater experiment? Are we gonna start to transition to how we were a hundred years ago in in the film industry, where the studios are king? Are we gonna start to see HBO, you know, theaters? Are we gonna see Netflix oh. theaters where, you know, these studios partner with these streaming services and they own ch- theater chains? Like, is that something that that is gonna happen? Like, I know it's like skipping three or four steps but like you you don't know what's going to happen that's that's the most horrifying uh possibility that you just laid out there (laughs) i wasn't even going to go that route but um you know this this past administration they rolled back a uh regulation that was made i think in the 40s or 50s or whatever it's called the uh paramount decrees and that's what uh prevented uh, studios from owning movie theaters. So like Universal could own an AMC and then they wouldn't show Warner Brothers movies there. You know what I'm saying? Right. That's, I mean, that's, that's a possibility now because that, that decree has been re- uh, removed. I fear, like, I, I didn't even think of this. I don't know why I didn't, but if, if studios want to buy theaters now they they can and they can absolutely refuse to play movies that aren't their studio movies and that is a terrifying idea see i don't i don't see that happening for quite a bit of time though i think that's going to be years before that happens because in that scenario right but in in this scenario right the reason they're dropping their content on hbo max is because they fear no one's going to come to the theater to see the movie. Mm-hmm. That's primarily the reason why. And you can talk about money and all that because that is what it goes back to. But they wouldn't be doing this. They're not doing this because they like HBO Max. They're doing this because they literally don't think people are going to come and see it. And they're going to lose a ton of money. So I don't see them purchasing a theater and saying, you know, you want to see Dune? Come out to our HBO theater. Like I, I don't see that happening for years because – you're just circling back around to the root of the problem is people aren't going to come out to your theater. Yes, but you eliminate, I mean, but, but you eliminate is, the, the, the third party issue there. If they yeah. own the theater, then they don't have to pay a theater. They still get all the money. So yeah. essentially that was like, which is kind of blowing my mind why I didn't think that this would be a possibility, but yeah, like that's very possible, especially when you look at AMC and Regal who are struggling financially, nothing would save you quite, quite as much as say, you know, Netflix or Amazon, hey, or Apple even, hey, uh, we'll purchase your movie or we'll, we'll purchase your theater. Like and, that's. And also too is like, you know, this is this is a, a, a different separation from this, which is another avenue that, that could happen is that we look at Amazon, right? Mm-hmm. Amazon is starting to have brick and mortar stores where you can literally go into a grocery store put an item in a cart and it'll like automatically, you know, count it and you can walk out with no cashiers and it'll automatically charge your account. Amazon has a streaming service, Amazon Prime Video. Amazon already talked about buying AMC or creating their own theaters like months ago. I don't I don't remember like when it was, but I remember these things coming up months ago. If AMC or if Amazon's like, you know what, we want to create our own theater oh, we have our own streaming platform. We're going to put our movies from our streaming platform in the theater. But if you want to show 
which is, I think, more realistic if we do change back to the studios on the theaters. If you want to show your movies at our theater, you have to pay extra, yeah. which in, in the world of money could make sense. But also, and, you know, I didn't live during these times where studios own the theaters. I don't know enough about it other than just the facts, but could also be a good thing. I mean, if Warner Brothers is is losing money, you know, they could be like, oh, shit, we're not doing very well. We need to make better movies. Or they could just be like, we need to start, you know, having other studios and just charging them to use our theater. So I, I could see it go either way. Well, there's a couple of things that really scare me inside of this scenario, as it should scare other people. Um, first is I, I fear for small businesses, small theaters that yeah. are not Regals, that yeah. are not AMCs. You know, Nick, our theater is a small theater that's family owned mm-hmm. and operated oh. in this scenario, not not even in this scenario where, you know, studios um, purchase theaters just in general with with Dune and all these other Warner Brothers properties dropping on Max. I fear for family owned theaters. I think they're done. Um, I really do. I think that family owned and operated theaters in small towns that are, you know, are not in LA or Chicago or New York. They're in or the middle like of nowhere. Bigger cities, like yeah, they're Oklahoma in the middle of City nowhere. Or... I, if they're if they've survived this long, they're clearly doing something right, and they're clearly also struggling and kind of hanging on by a thread. These movies, yeah. these movies, they were relying on these movies. Yeah. Like, what are some of the huge theater releases? That will not. That are not Warner Brother properties. What, what are they coming out in the next few years? I don't even know. I mean, other than like Marvel, like you know, yeah. <laughs> so the other thing I fear for is, let's say HBO buys a certain theater, or and then Netflix buys theaters. Just in this, if we're predicting the future here, well, what if? my Netflix theater is an hour away. Right. I mean, yeah, really. that's the big problem here is yeah. that if that's eventually what's going to happen, and I'm sure these studios, if they actually want to buy theaters, are going to think about that. Mm-hmm. You know, what if the next giant Marvel movie drops at the Netflix or the Disney plus theater, that's three hours from my house. Yes. You're See, definitely going to lose people by doing that. That so was, I fear for that. Yeah, that was the scenario that I was thinking would be the most realistic is that instead of like right now, I have four AMC theaters uh, in in closest proximity to me, right? There's uh, a Cinemark and then there's like five other like local theaters. Um, that's what I fear is that we will get to a point where instead of it being, you know, like nine or 19 theaters around you, now there's only like seven, right? There's only like seven and let's say only two of them are like not owned by a studio, right? So you're in a situation where you can go to one of those two uh, where you can see pretty much everything or you have to go to a specific theater and they're all spread out, they're all over the, all over the city like that's a nightmare that's essentially a nightmare and i'm like no matter what and this is the thing for me no matter what i don't care what movie it is right i don't care what movie it is you know dune wonder woman doesn't matter what movie it is 
watching it at home, it will never, ever, ever, ever be as good as watching it in a theater, no matter what, no matter what. I have seen the worst movies in a theater and I still were, was more satisfied with that experience of going out to a theater even when the movie sucked, right? Even when the movie's bad. Like I saw me and my me and my best friend, we went and saw Unhinged in the theater. I cannot tell you how much this movie sucked. This movie sucked so bad. We did something that I never do in movies, okay? We did something I never do in movies, which is talk during the movie. I never do that. But it was so bad. We could not, we could not wrap our head around how this movie was made. Right now, all of that. And then we left the theater and we had another hour long conversation about the movie, right? So that's what I remember is that experience of, you know, going to see it, laughing about it during the movie, talking about it during the movie, talking about it after the movie. Even though the movie sucked, I got more value out of it just by going to the theater. So like, but if I had watched that at home, it'd be a letterbox review and that'd be it. You know what I'm saying? So like, I just don't, I don't, think you can eliminate the movie theater uh, movie going experience but I do think it will change and I think it'll change dramatically and I'm not liking either of these scenarios I think it's see I think I think there's even like a possibility like I don't think at least I hope I don't think we'll ever get to the point where it's like a sole per like studio owns like a theater like we'll have 100 percent of the movies at that theater like if it's a universal movie theater i could see them maybe having paramount pay them money to like show their movies at the theaters but it could also increase competition like i don't think there's all bad but i definitely see like the the more negatives than positives so there's not one person to blame with all this, I guess it's the pandemic and the guy that ate the bat. But um, overall, there's one person that I do want to at least place a little bit of the blame on for all this. And that would be, y'all have talked about your favorite directors. That'd be my favorite director, Christopher Nolan. Um, when we were in summer, right? And Tenant kept being pushed back. All we were hearing about was Christopher Nolan is obsessed with putting Tenet in theaters because he wants to save theaters. Nick has said on this show that it's the return to theaters, the return and everything like that, because that's what it was supposed to be. That's what it was supposed to be. Nolan was obsessed with putting Tenet in theaters and reserving how I feel about that film, because that's not at all what I'm talking about. That flopped at the box office. It flopped. And you know what that is? That's a Warner Brothers property. So I'm not saying Christopher Nolan was the only person that wanted to put this in theaters from Warner Brothers because obviously the studio had to at least agree on it. But I can definitely see a situation where he pushed them so hard to put this film in theaters and pushed them so hard and sold them the dream of this is the return of theaters, this is the return of the movie industry, Tenant, Warner Brothers can be the thing to do that. And it flopped and they were like, wow, you sold us on this dream and look at what happened. You sold us a bill of lies. We can't, we cannot do that again. We can't do that again. So I'm not blaming Christopher Nolan for this. I'm not blaming Tennant for this, but you have to look at 
how Tenet did in theaters. You have to look at how obsessed Nolan was with putting it in theaters. And you have to look at that it's Warner Brothers property as well. And not you have to you have to. This is this is the thing. This is the movie that got the ball rolling with this conversation about dropping all their platforms on Max. It it, it definitely is. Cause they looked at it and they they might have had these discussions before Tenant. They might have, and they would have said, you know, what if we drop all our content on Max? Well, well, what if we do put a movie in theaters and everyone comes back because they miss it? And they said, let's try it, and it flops. So, uh, to me, Tenant was supposed to save theaters, and it ultimately could ruin them. Yeah, and yeah. see, like, I mean, even you know something simple, right? I got my haircut on like Wednesday and my hairdresser was like, you know, a lot of people haven't come back. Like a lot of my regular clients haven't come back. And I'm like, it is December. This thing started (laughs) in March. Like, are they just not getting haircuts? Are they doing it themselves? Like it's the same thing with movies. You can watch movies online. You can watch movies at home. You know, like it's not, you know, obviously we sit here and we're like, we love the theater experience. Like I saw Inception in theaters. I watched it on my phone or on my laptop and I watched it on a TV. You know, all three of those are totally different experiences. If I had to choose one, it would definitely be the theaters. But at the end of the day, you know, you pay a monthly subscription to Netflix. You pay like however much you pay, what, like $14 and you can watch however many movies they have on there. When you go to a theater, you have to spend like 10 bucks on on a movie, you know? I mean, like, as much as I love to go to the theater, you know, like, if you don't have a movie pass to, like, AMC or Regal, you're spending big bucks on movies. You know, you're spending big bucks. Like, if if I calculated all the money that I spent, and just in 2019, when I went to the theaters, like, 25 times, if I spent, calculated all the money that I spent in the theater not including popcorn and drinks and candy and snacks, just the ticket itself, just the ticket. It would probably be over a hundred dollars for 25 movies. You can watch 25 movies in a month or in a week. If you so choose on Netflix for 1499, you know? So I think we talk about theaters. I think something has to change in where yes, the theater experience is great, but when you're able to watch a big release movie at home on your own TV from the comfort of your home and you don't have to worry about putting a mask on or driving in traffic or sitting through seven previews, I think the bigger problem is the theater experience rather than the, you know, the studios. I think it all depends on what theater you go to. Like, um, Oh, right. Yeah. Like, but I mean, my theater back home, the tickets were, you know, 12 bucks. Right. The the theater where Nathan and I go to watch movies, it's five, right. you know, so it's it's still not that big of a deal. But when you're going to see one movie versus, you know, Netflix releases three or four originals right. a month and you pay $13, you're getting more for what you you have. I, you know what I mean? I, it's like, I, it's like honest- buying a song on Apple versus having like a spot, like it's buying like an album at the store versus having a Spotify account. You, and I also, I also think, you know, we are the minority of people that absolutely love going to the movies. We're the minority 
of numbers that they're looking at. And obviously, we're not the only people that love going to the theater. If you're listening to this podcast, chances are you love going to the theater as well. But what I'm saying is they're probably looking at general audiences. They're probably looking at the people that only see two movies a year. Yeah. They'll go see the the Avengers Endgame, Avengers Endgames and right. the 1917s, and that's all they go for the year. Right. You know, they're looking at the people that have kids and go twice a year, three times a year, and that's their night out. They're not looking at, you said 25 times, and I'm sure a lot of us do the same thing, but we're not the numbers they're looking at there, and that's what's scary and about I, it. And I, and I think, like, like I said, it depends on the theater, because, like, you know, in, Cin- in Cinemark, you can have, what is it, Movie Pass or, or, or Movie Club or whatever that they have. And, uh, like, I think when it comes to the, the major chains, like the AMCs, the Regals, they all have, like, a, a, a subscription service where, like, you know, you pay a monthly amount and you can go see as many movies as you want, right? So, it in, in essence, like, like, to me, the value is almost the same right? Sure, you can spend 15 bucks a month on Netflix, watch three movies or 20 movies, whatever, in a month. I'm like, well, I pay 20 bucks a month for AMC. I could literally go 20 times Every in a month day. and see, see, you know what I'm saying? So it's about even right. for and, me. And I think, and I think, I just, think that we're in, we're in the minority. Like, yeah. until last year, I didn't even know like a movie pass existed. Otherwise, I probably would have had it for years, yeah. but I didn't know it existed. So how many people out there go, and whether that's intentional or that's just me, I, I don't know. But I just think at the end of the day, like, you know, as much as, as we sit here and we're like, we love going to the theaters. It's a great experience. I just don't think, especially with, with how the pandemic has shifted people's priorities and views. I just think that like, I mean, Look at look at gyms, right? People bought gym equipment. Like my dad works at a, a secondhand played against sports where people like people put their name on wait lists to get to get gym equipment during the start of the pandemic because people shifted to in home gyms. People aren't going back to the gyms because they have things at their home and it's safer than going to the gyms. And I think it's the same thing with theaters. People realize that they can watch movies in the comfort of their own home for, you know, the price that, that they want to do it compared to going to the theater. And I think that's just the sad reality that, that has opened many people's eyes to at home viewing. I, I think it's, it, that's very true. And, um, and, and I, I think if you're a family, like definitely, like if you're a family of even three or four or whatever, or more, like being able to watch movies at home, is probably the greatest thing for you. You know what I'm saying? That that probably satisfies your every need. If you're an individual, or you know, say you you know, say you want to do a movie date, it's a lot harder to ask a girl to hey, come over to my house and we'll watch a movie than it is to be like, hey, let's go to the movies. So like, right. it, it it has inherent value on both sides. Uh, I just we we laid out several scenarios here that are possible all of them seem very terrible to be honest with you but uh i think that's the reality that we're gonna have to deal with for the the upcoming future uh i overall i like this deal that hbo max is doing i think it's really cool um 
I don't have HBO Max, so if either one of you decide to get it, I, I'll take your login information. I appreciate it in advance. Um, but uh, as of right now, like, I'm going to the theaters. Uh, that, that, that's me. Uh, I'll be at the theater. Uh, but, you know, we'll see how it turns out. All right, we got to move on, guys. So it is time officially for Film Code. guys have done their research so i'm super excited to see if they they've come up with the correct answer they both are tied at five for the lead i'm hoping that they lose it uh, <laughs> but your code word was teen your clues were a movie between 2000 and 2010 it was directed by an mcu director and it is a sports movie so Nathan, I think he has it, so I'm gonna let him go last. Nick, why don't you kick us off? All right. So I was down to two movies. Um, kind of went went back and forth, but I'm gonna stick with my first gut, and that is 2008's Sugar, uh, directed by Ryan Fleck and Anna Bowden, who directed Captain Marvel. It's a sports movie about baseball literally in the synopsis of letterbox it says miguel finally gets his break at age 19 so that is my guess all right nathan you said you got it give it to me what is yes so i looked at that one as well i think that's a strong contender the only reason that is not it and even if i'm wrong that's not it is because I asked Phoenix if this is a for sure sport or if some people say it's a, it is versus it's not. And everyone would say baseball is a sport, right? I mean, you're living <laughs> under a rock if you don't think baseball is a sport. So I just, I ruled that one out because everyone thinks it's a sport. So I went with cheerleading. I went it? with cheerleading because that is a debate whether cheerleading is a sport. And that is 2000's Bring It On by Peyton Reed. Uh, this looks like a movie that is right up your alley, Phoenix, for whatever reason. Uh, I think you tried to sneak Pey Peyton Reed in there. Um, it's about, obviously, these, these uh, cheerleading, this cheerleading squad um, who are teens. So um, that's what I'm going to say. I was going to say, that, that was the other movie that I was debating between. Bring It On by Peyton Reed. Let's, let's, uh, let's see what it is. Well, uh, you guys gave both really great guesses. Uh, after I uh, gave this, I realized that there were only two movies directed by MCU directors that fit that theme, and you both found them. And it is my great honor to say that Nathan got it right. Yes, it was Bring Dang. It On. <laughs> See, I was, I, was, uh, I was so close to cheating. <laughs> Yes, I adore Bring It On. I love Kirsten Dunst. I love uh, uh, Gabrielle Union. It's one of my favorite movies of all time. I mean that. Uh, Bring It On, absolutely a riot. I, riot and a half. Great job, Nathan. You've taken the lead again. 
You now won six code words. This is ridiculous. Uh, <laughs> but uh, way to go. Uh, Sugar was a good guess. I'm actually going to watch that. Uh, sounds like a great movie. But um, yes, it was Bring It On. Nathan, or sorry, Nick, have you seen Bring It On? Uh, no, I have not. I might have like, was it, is it a Disney movie? Like one so. of those like movies that they showed on Disney like at 2 a.m.? It maybe, maybe. I don't okay, know. Maybe then, a little too raunchy for Disney. I have no idea. I mean, it did come out in 2000. Yeah. So, so I don't know. Yeah, you gotta back add in it, the league. You got to add it to your wish, wish list now, your watch list now. Uh, bring it on. Uh, let me know back what you think of it. <laughs> Nathan's back in the lead. And Nathan, I believe it do you is. Like, uh, do you like bring it on in it to win it too? No, I don't. I haven't watched any of the sequels. <laughs> wow. I've not watched any of the sequels, but uh gabrielle union did confirm earlier in the year that they are making uh another bring it on movie with her in it so it will officially be the sequel she's that like I, 30 I now though i don't care <laughs> she'll be like a wrinkly chill i think i think they were like in their mid-20s when they did it anyway so like <laughs> well, is any is anybody really in high school when they play a high school or not at all so nathan is it yours or is it nick's i don't know We'll figure it out off show. Yeah, we'll figure it out. <laughs> All right. So that was that's been our show today, guys. We did a great, great job. We talked Mank. We talked the theaters. We answered some great questions from you all. Uh, Nathan is once again in the lead. Six, five for Nick, and three for me. So I'm excited to get the next code word. So hopefully I can catch up. All right. Uh, we got to get up out of here, guys. Nick, let everybody know where they can find you, man. Yes, you can find me at Letterbox at Nick Spain. Uh, I feel like I mentioned this last time, but Nathan and I have just gone pro. They had a Black Friday deal um, for like, what, 12 bucks. So Mm -hmm. had to pull the trigger on that. Um, We'll be having, after finals are over, have all new content. Obviously, the 30-some-odd Hallmark movies I had to get around to watching this year. my movie poster movies 2020 best picture noms from the 2010s all that fun stuff stanley kubrick all goals to to get done pre spring semester absolutely and nathan let everybody know where they can find you man you can follow me on letterbox at nathan pig got a lot of hot takes as phoenix has already pointed out so feel free to head on over there and and let me hear it. Love to interact with you guys. Make sure you also follow the show over on Twitter at Film Code Pod. We do a lot of great stuff over there, and it's definitely a follow that you want to be a part of. Absolutely. And my name is Phoenix Cloud, and you guys can find me uh, on Twitter at IMHO Reviews One. That's the number one, and on Letterbox under P A Clouden. And like Nathan said, please follow the show on Twitter at Film Code Pod. We're doing our 25 days of Christmas right now. Uh, a lot of exciting other interactions for you guys. And uh, we'll see you guys next week. Peace. <laughs>